It's all about the one more. One more family. Uh, one more child. Wow. Okay, I'm going to invite you to find your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 17. We'll hand out Bibles if you need one. Old True Worth, I think you have scriptures. In sanctuary, they're in the pew in front of you. If you need one, we're going to start off in 1 Kings 17. Uh, while you are doing that, I want to, we're going to put a slide up on the screen about prayer. Uh, we have a prayer, 24-hour prayer vigil coming up, starting uh, next Saturday at 1 o'clock. It ends on Sunday at 1 o'clock. We're asking for a whole body to participate throughout the time that you would find 15 or 20 minutes. There's a board out there in, in the crossing. It looks kind of like this, a couple, for you to stop by and find and say, okay, my family, we can pray here, we can pray here, we can pray here, all sorts of times. Uh, you can be on site, you can be at home, wherever. But we're also asking that you consider showing up at 1 o'clock on Saturday afternoon uh, for about 30 minutes. We're going to have a launching of this prayer time, all of us together. Then we're going to wrap up on Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock, again, about 30 minutes to kind of close it all out together. There's going to be some baptisms actually on the property where the new worship space is going to be. It's going to be a time of kind of closing up. So you're invited, and we ask you, please, at least be a part of this right here. We invite, we invite you to do that. I'm going to put this over here so they can get it as they need to. Uh, but this whole church is built on the foundation of prayer. And so I invite you to take this seriously. All right, this morning we are going to be talking about a part of our prayer. If you call this your church home, uh, you know we have been asking you to pray this little prayer about God grant us a joy-filled experience of sacrificial generosity. Uh, if you're new here this morning, you're learning something about the vision that God has placed before us and what we see, this historic changing time in the life of the church. Uh, you're learning more about who we are. So it's a great time to be here to learn about us. But if you call this your church home, you know the journey that we're on. But I know so many people have been asking me, and they don't even really know the answer, and I'm not sure I can give you a perfect one. What is generosity? And that's why you see that in your message notes at the very beginning, has generosity colon is blank. I would just ask you to think about to you, what does generosity mean to you? What, what is generosity? It's kind of a funny thing. Uh, someone uh, goes at their job and they steal some very expensive piece of equipment from the job site. Let's just say they do that. And they put it on Facebook Marketplace and they sell it. Get a lot of money for it. Then they take and give a large portion of that money to some philanthropic cause or nonprofit. And my question for you, is that generosity or is that fraud? Uh, if somebody gets a bonus, out of the blue you get a large bonus, comes out of the blue, big bonus, and you go to the leader of some philanthropic organization and you say, hey, listen, man, I want to give this, a large part of this to the organization, and I want you to do this with it, and you got to do it in this time frame, and you can only use it in this way. Is that generosity or is that manipulation? Let's say you're the parent of an underachieving high schooler, and you're concerned about their ability to get into college, but you graduated from a prestigious college, and so you go to your prestigious college, and you give a large donation to that university. Now, is that generosity, or is that strategic planning <laughs> for your student? Uh, you are diagnosed with a serious heart disease. Almost certain in the future, you're going to have some serious medical issues. 
and you're a person of means, you have great means, so you go to the Mayo Clinic and you give such a donation, they put your name on the wall. Is that generosity or guaranteeing yourself a reservation for the future? You make $60,000 a year. You come to Pathway Church on Christmas Eve, and you forgot, but you're reminded on Christmas Eve that it's Jesus' birthday. And around here, that's pretty important to us. And you discover that. You go, oh, I forgot. And so at the last minute, you just pull a $100 bill out, and you put it in the little basket. Is that generosity? Is that trying to ease a guilty conscience? You make $60,000 a year. You prayerfully make a careful, joy-filled decision that you're going to tithe. And you do that. It's a part of your way of life. It's a part of your spiritual discipline. You do this. Is that generosity or is that obedience? See, this thing called generosity, it's hard to really wrap your head around exactly what generosity is. I mean, there's some folks who called Bernie Madoff generous when he gave Ponzi scheme money to all these different organizations. The Bible talks about generosity in a lot of different ways. The Apostle Paul teaches the Timothy, he says, hey, Timothy, whatever you do, teach your church about the importance of generosity. And I will tell you, my 33 years here, I'm not sure I've taught about generosity enough that so many of you don't even know what it really is. Proverbs puts it this way. Proverbs 19, 17 says, so anyone who is generous with the poor, uh, riches and graces of heaven be poured out upon your life. Uh, if someone who is a Buddhist, um, they, they, they say that generosity is one of the ten perfections as an antidote to greed. It's in the Quran. The Quran even includes generosity as a virtue to which you achieve. So it's very clear, I don't care whatever faith background, whatever philosophy in the world, that everyone seems to think that generosity is a good thing, but no one is absolutely certain of what it is. I mean, really, can you define it? Can we agree on a definition? Some would say it's liberality in giving. Uh, some would say it's having a magnanimous spirit where you just give freely of yourself to anyone at all times. Someone say it's exuberant in sharing your stuff with other people. Some might say generosity is uh, sacrificially giving yourself to others with no strings attached. No strings. Well, so let me just ask you to wrestle with this concept a little bit. To you, what does the word generosity mean to you? What does it mean? Particularly when you add sacrificial generosity. I think there's three stories in the Bible that can help us. So we're just going to kind of walk swiftly through three stories, maybe to wrap our head around this concept. And we're going to start off in 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to look at a single mom. It's a single mom. And this single mom finds herself in a very rough spot in 1 Kings 17. Uh, she lives in a country where there's a famine. And the famine has ruined the economy. Uh, food is scarce, and anytime food is scarce, the price, supply and demand, the price goes up, and so it's very expensive, food is, and she's run out of food, and she's run out of money, 
And all she has left in her cupboard is a little jar with a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And she realizes she has just enough oil and flour to make one last loaf of bread for her son, feed her son. She would eat the leftovers. And the scripture says over here, uh, down in verse uh, 12, then we're going to lay down and we're going to die. That's how bad the situation is. Now, in this story, there's another person. His name is Elijah. He is a prophet, a mighty man of God, the scripture says. And Elijah, uh, he's been impacted by the famine. He's hungry. He's starving. But God is not done with Elijah, and God is not done with a single mom. I want all single moms and dads to hear this. God was not finished with a single mom. And God speaks to Elijah. says, Elijah, I want you to go to a certain town. I want you to find a certain woman. I want you to tell her I'm going to move in with you. So Elijah shows up and he knocks on the door. He says, hey, ma'am, uh, God has told me I'm to move in with you. <laughs> Incredible. Think about it. It's going to get drama. And she says, okay, listen, come on in. In fact, pretty soon you can have the whole house because I'm about to feed my kid the last bit of bread and I'm going to lay down and die. You can have the whole house. It's going to be yours. He said, well, I forgot to tell you one thing. Uh, God told me to tell you, don't feed your kid, feed me. Feed me first, and then God's going to resupply your oil and your bread. So I'm going to go wash my hands, get ready for dinner. You go in the kitchen, heat up the, the, the stove, make that last loaf of bread. I'll come in and we'll eat, and I will tell you, it's all going to be okay. Don't worry about it. It's going to be good. Now, let's say you're the single mom, you're the single parent, and this is your experience. Uh, what's going on through your head right now? Uh, when that person comes to the door, you're going, ha, bye, don't want any, right? Uh, don't, you're not coming to my house. And I can see you're processing, okay, all I have is enough oil and enough bread for my child. I got to take care of my child. I don't want him to die hungry, me either. But this guy tells me that if I give a little bit of oil, bread, and I feed him first, that God's going to resupply. How do I know that this is true? Now, this is a question all of us are faced with at some point in our life. If you've not been faced with it, you will. And anytime you are moved to be generous to anything in any situation, uh, maybe be generous to the poor. You've been moved to be generous to the poor. You've been moved to be generous to your friend. Some cause, some something. Uh, you're part of a church family, and they give you this prayer, right? And the prayer is, hey, God, I pray you give me a joy-filled experience of sacrificial generosity that will leave a legacy for generations to come so that in our pathway church family, there will always be enough love and grace for one more, that you're praying that. You've got to come to a point you've got to ask, oh, really? Is God going to do what God says God's going to do? Here's what generosity is. First thing we think we learned from this, that generosity is a trusting God's promise to resupply. 
That's what, I think that's the important generosity is. It's trusting the promise that God's going to resupply. So many of you here in the room, uh, God moves, you're an experience, you're somewhere, anywhere. You're here, you're somewhere else. And God moves and, you're, and you feel touched on the shoulder. Hey, you need to do something. Whatever it is, you need to be generous. And you start going through the questions. Okay, does God have my back on this? Really, before, does God have my back? Uh, is God going to resupply? Is what this Bible, is what's in this book, is it true? And I will tell you where many of you are, uh, you never had the experience of God resupplying. I know that. And the reason you haven't is because your relationship with Jesus is such, it's just a religious thing. There's not really a relationship with Jesus. Uh, you don't have this daily walk with Jesus. It's, it's kind of a church thing. It's kind of a religious thing. Or some of you here, you're not even sure if you believe in God. And if you're here today and you don't believe in God, you're watching online from afar, you don't believe in God, I want to repeat, you are welcome here. Because uh, you don't even believe in God, God believes in you. And I want you to make sure you clearly you know that and God loves you, knows everything about you, and he cares about you. And he will leave everything to come to find you and make sure you know how much he loves you. But some of you have discovered that in your own life. But it's not gone into a relationship where you trust that what God says in his word is true. So as a result, you never stepped out in faith and had the experience of God resupplying you. And I get that. I, I get that. I, I understand why. I mean, you're always afraid. I, I, well, I can't do this. I, I can't, whatever it is. I can't. I just can't. I just can't. Because uh, this, this is going to cost me. I'm never going to recover. It's going to be, ah, oh, there's no way. It makes no sense. You have no reference point. Hey, I was in the same place when I was 19 years of age. I had three jobs, paying my way through college. Uh, I was on my own. I lived had my own bills, my own expenses, my own car expense, my own car loan. I had everything. I paid for my own college. It's all up to me. It's all my responsibility. That's what I thought, right? And so I'm in a time in my life where people's talking about maybe me going to seminary. And I'm going to start exploring. I'm thinking about the future of going to seminary. We live in Wichita Falls. I drive from Wichita Falls to Dallas to go check out Perkins School of Theology at SMU. And so as a part of that experience, they have a student there who's kind of giving their testimony about this ministry he's a part of down in South America, of ministering to these kids. And I will tell you, I was moved. I, it, it was really compelling to what, how God was using this young man in Central America. Um, so much so at the end of his speech, someone came up and said, listen, he's got to go back to Central America. He doesn't have enough to get there. Hey, let's all pitch in and help him. We're going to pass this little basket. Give what you can. Give generously. I was moved to do something. And so I opened up my wallet, and all I have is a $20 bill. And so they're passing the basket. My first thought is, can I put that in and get change? Have you ever had that thought when you found yourself somewhere and you were kind of stuck in a bad spot and you're wondering, can you get change out of an offering plate? I just warn you, caution you, people around you think very bad things about you when you do that, okay? They just don't know. So I was thinking this through and said, no, I can't do that, but I got to do something, but this is all I have. I mean, this is all I have, and I think if I remember correctly, the way I was supposed to go back, there's a toll I got. But I got some, I sure have some change in my, so I put the $20 in because I was convicted I had to do this. The man, I felt really great about it. I felt awesome about it. Until on my way back to Wichita Falls, yes, I'm on a toll road, and there is a toll. And I start looking, and there's nothing in the car, nothing in my wallet. I got nothing. And this is before automation. You just can't drive through and they bill you. 
There's a human being at the toll booth. Do you remember any of you, the, the human being at the toll booth? And so I had to pull up and I said, uh, I got no money. And uh, she said, well, uh, you don't need any money. I said, the guy in front of you came through and paid and said, pay for whoever comes behind me. And she said, I've never had that happen before. I said, me either. <laughs> I just kind of went on through and pulled over and went, ah, really, God? Really? What you say in your book is true. That when you move and you touch your people to be generous in ways that makes no sense, you will resupply and this got me to study the scriptures. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, the Apostle Paul is kind of acknowledging the Philippian church and how generous they had been to him. And he said, my God will meet all of your needs, church, because of your generosity. Um, Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God, first, and then all these things will be added unto you. Now, five weeks ago, I taught you something. I showed you an image, and I've had some people ask me, Pastor, would you please go through that one more time? That was really helpful to me. And usually I don't like to do recycle stuff through, but I'm going to do that here. Uh, can can y'all see that? Oh, yeah, you can. Okay, we're good enough. I'll move this aside just for a second here for, this, for camera purposes. Uh, I didn't show you this right here, but I'm going to get to that. But just some of you need some help. Hey, where am I on my spiritual journey? Now, where am I in my relationship with God as far as this giving thing, my, my financial part of my life? And so some of you may be at a first-time place. You've never done anything. There's a first time for everything, and, and this whole experience is going to be a first time for you. For some of you, you're an occasional giver. Uh, there's no discipline. You're not really focused. It's not a part of your spiritual journey. It's just kind of random. For some of you, you're intentional. I mean, you have a plan, but you're not giving 10%. You're not doing the tithing thing yet. Then there's those of you that you made a decision. Hey, I'm going to tithe. I've read the word. I believe what it says. And then above that, you see this thing called generosity. So we know that generosity is something that is more beyond even our tithing experience. Trying to help you understand generosity a little bit. It's beyond now, here's what I want to show you again that someone asked me to redo. And if you're new here, uh, you're going to go, okay, ah. And for some of you, you go, yeah, I've already seen that. But, yep, I've been asked to do it again, so I'm doing it. So, uh, we have two people here in the room. Both people are at point A. They're sitting side by side, remember? And you hear the same teaching. And one of you come to the conclusion, I've got to get a point B in my life by a certain age. I've got to get financially to here. And the only way I'm going to do that is on 100% of everything that I make. I mean, I, I, I measure, I save my account, that's what it's going to take. Somebody else, the same place, go, I want to get to point B also. But I have learned I can get to point B on 90%. And I'm going to give 10% to God, and somehow that's going to take me to C. And this place from B to C is called favor, it's called blessing, it's not always prosperity money, it's God's presence, it's just the blessing of God somehow in your life. And this person right here says, you know what, I also say there's another place, and I'm going to call it D. It's not even, it's off the chart, you can't even see it. That when I am generous, there is a favor that is even beyond that which I do when I'm tithing. And so when... Because the, God's going to resupply in incredible ways. 
And so remember, if you were here when I did this, I share with you that this guy here thinks this guy's an idiot. Remember that? He thinks, because, man, you're crazy. Uh, you're just crazy. And this guy says, no, I've done this, and I've, I've, experienced, I've experienced God resupplying. Uh, you're the idiot. And the punchline was, you remember, uh, which idiot are you going to be? You get to choose. And there's this thing of resupplying that you're never going to experience. Never. Unless you trust the promises of God to resupply. And it's a spiritual thing. It is unbelievable, the spiritual impact upon your life. That's the first story. And so what happens is uh, the woman, what does she do? You remember the story? She goes back in. She pours out a little bit of oil, a little bit of bread, makes a loaf of bread, feeds her son. Goes back in, goes, ha, my kitchen, it's been resupplied. God, there's more oil and bread. She makes a little bit more oil and bread. She feeds Elijah first, excuse me, feeds Elijah first. Then she comes back in, there's more she feeds her son. Comes back in, there's more she feeds herself. And the scripture says, right over here in the text, uh, 1 Kings 17, that in verse, uh, verse 14 and 16, that the jar of flour and the jar of oil did not run dry until the famine was over. And God just continued to resupply because of her generosity with the prophet. The second story is over here in 2 Samuel, the very last chapter, just to your left a little bit, uh, chapter 24. It's a story about a successful husband and a successful dad. And his name was David. Uh, we're talking about King David. Uh, David and Bathsheba, David and Goliath, uh, David, the man after God's own heart, David. Uh, the David that when he was young, uh, the Bible says that he was meticulous in honoring God in every way. He was obedient to God in every single way possible. And he, he just knew the favor of God was upon his life. And David, man, he just grows in his faith and grows in relationship with God. He becomes very successful. He is a leader. He becomes a warrior. He becomes a successful politician. He becomes an orator. He becomes a poet. He becomes a writer. He becomes world famous. I mean, he's world famous. All historians, historians go back in Israel. And they would say when David was king, that was the golden era of Israel. Go read about it. Go study it. Everything David touched turned to gold. And David just knew the favor of God was upon his life. The blessing of God was with him. But something happened to David. It happens to a lot of people who are successful. A lot of people become powerful, even a little bit of wealth of means. David let the blessing of God go to his head, and he got a little arrogant. And when people came and asked him, how did you become so successful? He changed the story. Here's what he said. Well, you know, I started when I was young. And I was just a little stronger and a little smarter than everybody else. He left out the part of God knocking down the doors. He said, you know what? I just sucked it up and I made it happen. I did it by myself. I was not going to quit. I, was not, I started knocking down doors and I was not going to be denied. I was going to be successful. And that's kind of where David is in this story. I did it all by myself. And so then he tells his friend Joab right here at the very beginning of that chapter, verses 2. He said, I want you to go out there and count 
all the soldiers that we have in our military. And Joab replies back to him there in verse 3. He says, hey, listen, uh, you don't want to do that. I know you just want to know how many people you have so you can go to Starbucks and tell all your king buddies how big your army is. You want to brag. Don't do it, David. I've known you since you were a kid. We grew up together. And you and I both know God knocked down the doors for us. We're successful what God has done. God saved us from our enemies. God has paved the way. And if you go in here and start bragging about everything that you have done, you're going to blow everything. Don't do it. And the scriptures are very clear. Uh, David overruled him. And he says, go number the troops. Go count them. And so he does. Comes back with a number. Uh, let me stop here for a second. Another time out. I wonder how many of you in the room who can hear my voice watching online, Tree War Sanctuary, uh, you can go back in time to when you first uh, got out of high school, you first got out of college, or maybe you first left the nest and you were out on your own. And you were not in the best of places in your life, right? I mean, you were really struggling just to make ends meet to get by, right? And you found yourself in a spot where you're wearing bad stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you're driving bad stuff. Some of you are dating bad stuff, if you catch my drift. And you're just kind of, kind of, all kind of, and then all of a sudden you wake up. And you get serious about building your career. You get serious about building a company. And you get serious about your trade and your craft, your profession, perfecting your skill of what you do to be the best that you can be. And all of a sudden, you start experiencing the blessing, the favor of God in your life. And you start becoming a little more successful, a little more position, a little more respect from people. And along the way, you're telling everybody, man, God is good, God's blessing, God is favor, God is with me. And you start believing all that. And here you are today in a position in your life you never dreamed that you would be at this place of success in your life, and here you are. And if someone were to come up to you today and ask you, how did you become so successful? There are many of you who will say, man, I just sucked it up and made it happen. I just worked it out 24 hours. I pushed myself harder than anybody else. I was not going to quit. I studied. I worked. I made it happen. And you make no mention of God. And you start thinking, all I have, all I own, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's all mine. Look what I've done. And that's exactly where David is. And Joab comes back. All right, David, I did what you asked, so you go brag about how bad of a king you are. Verse 9, he says, okay, I counted. You got 800,000 over here. You got 500,000 over here. You got 1.3 million. Go brag, David. And then right there, immediately in verse 10, the scripture says, David was conscience stricken. I've sinned against the Lord. I beg you, God, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish 
thing. He was humbled. Then it says the consequences of his actions. And I'm not even going to read the consequences. Uh, you'll read them this week in your chair time when you do your, your life steps. You'll have a chance to kind of linger. I want you to linger on the consequences of his arrogance. And David knows, I need to apologize to God. And back then, the way you apologize to God is to build an altar. So David says, I'm going to build an altar to God to apologize and offer a sacrifice. Uh, but a wealthy person in the land heard about David's sin and heard what his desire to apologize. And he comes to David down here in the text in verse 22 and says, hey, hey, David, uh, king, hey, I don't want you to get your king hands dirty, so I will give you the land. I'm going to give it to you. And not only that, I'm going to send my crew to build the altar. You only have to build it. I'm going to even give you the oxen, the animals you need to make the sacrifice. That's just accept my gift. And David said, no, uh, that's not going to happen. I'm going to pay cash. I'm going to accept responsibility. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to build it. And I'm going to buy the cattle from you to do my sacrifice. And then it has this very critical verse down in verse 24. He says, no, I insist on paying you for it. Here it comes. I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. In other words, in your notes, generosity reveals the true condition of my heart. I'm not going to give anything to God that doesn't cost me that has shown my true desire of gratitude for God's grace and love in my life. Uh, some 30 years ago, there was a gentleman whose name will uh, not be revealed who discovered that his wife uh, loved flowers, and she just didn't love flowers for the sentimental value. Oh, my husband brought me flowers. She loved how they touched, what they looked like, how they were arranged, just, uh, all the delicacy, the beauty of flowers and every. Every sense of the imagination. So he would always go out periodically, just buy her flowers just because. Uh, not for any purpose or event, but just because. He did it often. And so he'd go in to go do that for her and on this one journey, and he sees this old beat-up Oldsmobile on the side of the road. Anybody remember the Oldsmobile, those yachts on wheels, you know, that were this long, and they had, they had couches, grandmother couches for the seats. Uh, you had leg room like on first class, you know, when you're flying, I mean, just big, you sink, blah. And it was that kind of car. The trunk is up, and it's full of flowers on the side of the road. And it has this big old sign that says, flowers, real cheap. He pulls in and says, how cheap? $10 a dozen. I'll take a dozen. So he gets a dozen, gets in the car. He's looking at the flowers, and he realized the flowers have a little time on them. And they spray-painted the flowers red. And you can see a little of the overspray on the stem. He says, ah, it's a good deal. So he gets in the car, and he goes home, presents it to his wife. And she looks at the flowers and says, oh, these are lovely. Did you get them from the same place? No. But I got a really good deal. I mean, they were cheap. I saved a lot of money on these flowers, babe. Oh, okay, well, thank you. She puts them in the vase. Uh, they go to bed, wake up the next morning. Uh, those flowers are in the trash. A few weeks later, he decides it's time to buy his wife flowers again. She's the same Oldsmobile, whoops in, gets the flowers, comes home, hands them to her. She says, uh, did you get them at the same place? He said, which place? She said, the Oldsmobile place. Well, yeah, they were still on sale. It was a good deal. Oh, thank you. Takes the roses, puts them in the vase. He wakes up the next morning, they're in the trash. He does it a third 
comes home, gives her the flowers. Did you buy them in the same place? Yes. Throws them in the trash right then. And men, the moral to the story is this. Don't give your wife spray-painted flowers. <laughs> because flowers and gifts reveal the true condition of your heart. And every time you give a gift to God, God is noticing, are those spray-painted flowers? Are they a fresh cut? Is that gift a cheap gift? Is that gift given begrudgingly, not wanting to? Is that gift being given because it's leftovers? They don't need it anymore? Or is it really a gift that reflects how much they love me, the honor, and the value they place in the relationship they have with me. And I don't know about you, but any gift I give to God, I want it to honor God. I want it to be fresh-cut flowers that reflects the true status of my heart. And I'm just asking you, uh, when you give to God, what's it showing of your heart? Spray painted flowers or the real thing. One more. We have time to do it. Go over to Luke chapter 21, New Testament. Short little story. Only place about, about this woman who's a widow. Uh, we, it's famous about the widow's might. It's the only time in Scripture where Jesus does this. Jesus stands to the side of the temple and he watches the rich and the poor put their offering in the treasury. It's interesting. No other place in the Bible that he does this. And when I could sum this whole thing up by saying, uh, this is what he turns to the disciples and he says, small gifts matter to God. That's really what he's saying. S small gifts matter to God. Uh, large gifts matter to God too. But I want to say something about large gifts to God. Uh, some of you who give large gifts, you give large gifts to God, and it doesn't change your lifestyle at all. Not at all. Uh, you give a gift. You have enough income stream, enough reserves. It doesn't alter how you eat. It doesn't alter how you live. It doesn't alter how you spend. Doesn't change anything. You can give a large gift. Nothing changes in your life. But the scripture says here, uh, this young lady, this poor widow, she put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she gave out of her poverty. She put in all that she had to live on. And when she went home, the cupboards are empty. And here's the lesson in your notes. Generosity is not measured by the size of the gift, but by the size of the faith required to give the gift. It's not the size of the gift that measures generosity. It's the size of the faith required to give the gift. Uh, last weekend, True Worth, I want to give a shout out to my True Worth friends. And I was told this story of what happened last week. And you need to know, True Worth, they worship just like you and I do. 
Uh, they come into worship. They're down there. They're downtown Fort Worth, and they're in their building facility and got their coffee, everything just like you do. And, uh, man, they're worshiping God. They're taking notes like crazy and all that sort of stuff. At the end of worship last week, just like we will, they, they prayed our prayer at the very beginning. God grant us a joy-filled period, experience of, of sacrificial generosity. They did the same thing, and they left. Just like you're about to leave here in just a couple of minutes. You're going to leave. And you're going to get in your SUV. You're going to get in your Matthew McConaughey special. Right? <laughs> uh, you're going to go home and sit down, turn on the TV, whatever you're going to do. Have a big old meal. Our true worth friends, they pick up their backpack, they pick up their bedroll, and they go back onto the streets. And last weekend, there was a woman, before she walked out the doors onto the streets, she reached out into her pocket and she picked this exact bill out of her pocket. And she gave it. You were looking at sacrificial generosity. She gave all that she had on her person. Please hear this. I say it with love. But there are some of you here in this church who are on fixed incomes. You're young, got kids, or maybe some later on in life, and your expenses are high, your taxes are crazy, your income is fixed and limited, and you look around this church, you see people of all walks of life, some looking very successful, and you see this building and all the things we're talking about, you go, you know what, uh, my, my little gift doesn't amount to a hill of beans, uh, let all those other people in the church take care of everything and I don't need to do anything because my little gift doesn't amount to anything. It's so small. And if this is you, you've missed the plot. Because generosity is not about the size of the gift. It's about the size of the faith required to give. Uh, I see the time. We're going to give you a tool. We're going to walk you out the door. Uh, could we please, if you'll look there uh, in your, under, on the front, underneath that in pew, right there in the chair to the right, and in the, the pew, the chairs in front of you, in the pockets, you're going to find a little bag that has this little thing called generosity guide. We're just going to hand these out. I want everyone to get one of these. It's another piece here to kind of help you understand things. While this is, you're handing these out, all the way in the back you have them, over there in the sanctuary, I'm sorry to tell you, I don't know exactly how you're going to get them. If you're watching online, you can download it eventually online. I uh, just want everyone, this is a tool for you to take home with you, it's called a generosity guide. Uh, we hope it will be healthy. I'll remind you what we're trying to accomplish here uh, for the vision for this a million and one aha moments. Can you put that up there? Uh, the million and one aha moments. Uh, reclaim the ark. Uh, building a thousand seat worship center going to cost we think seven and a half million dollars three year pledge commitment it's going to take generosity uh, we have the giving goals here you may receive this in your resource in the brochure uh, there's what they're telling us you can see they're large gifts and small gifts all in between but a lot of people just being generous Find what, what does it mean for you to be generous uh, if we're going to reach this goal of the million and one of reclaiming the ark and all that's connected with that
And this right here is a guide, a tool for you to take home with you. And in your small groups, you're going to do this, some of you. First of all, it asks, what can I reasonably give? And so you kind of ask, okay, what can I reasonably give? And it shows you how you can kind of write down as a family. You, talk, you sit down and talk about it. And the question number two is a small group thing this week. Hey, what can I pre- reprioritize and then be able to give? And then it shows this creative way of doing this as a family, of kind of having, okay, how, what can we sacrifice? Uh, eliminate a meal out a week, a Starbucks, a, a rent a movie per week, so forth and so on. Uh, all sorts of things. I know a family that's delaying buying a car for three years. I know a family delaying paying off their house. I know a young boy in this church who opened a lemonade stand, and he's giving all it to, to now. There are so many different things that are happening in the life of the church, but just invite your family. You can see that over the course of three years, you don't think you can do anything, but small little sacrifices can amount to a lot. Then the final thing is number three. Uh, what could I rely upon God for? It's an exercise of faith that really be generous, uh, it'd be bold, really pray through beyond what I think is just normal. And uh, so if you take this tool and wrestle with it and just kind of give you a glimpse of this, I'll remind you of the interior look of this space. Here's the crossing, what it's going to look like on the inside. Uh, oh, this is the worship center itself. That's okay. Okay, there's the crossing. Kind of, if you weren't here last week, there's an interior view. The cross will be expanded and just kind of be a continual flow. And that now and more kind of goes, shows where the worship space would be. And here's a, the first look of what we believe, a kind of idea, and you'll see the technology. It's just going to reach people from all walks of life. And uh, there'll be no hoops. There'll be no basketball goals in the thing. Uh, there'll be no stains on the chairs taking them up and down. They're going to be there. And there'll be no bad seats back in the back. Everybody, there's no low overhang. You'll be able to see it here. It's going to be fantastic. And there'll be enough room uh, for one more. So we ask you to continue in your family. If this is your church home, be praying. And uh, just be praying and see what God will do. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to say our prayer. And uh, online, True Worth, Sanctuary, please all together. Let's do this together, please. This is our prayer. If you're a guest, you're new, I'd love to meet you in the crossing when this is all over. Let's pray together, church family. God, grant us a joy-filled experience of sacrificial generosity that will leave a legacy for generations to come. So that now and forever in our Pathway Church family, there is always enough love and grace for one more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming. Remember the prayer thing. We want you to pray with us.